Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments. And get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Hi, friends. Welcome to Health Talks Now, where we discuss the health and wellness issues that matter most with the experts who know best. Today, we're talking about a critically important and honestly often overlooked topic, advanced care planning. Admittedly, this wasn't a topic I had spent very much time thinking about before preparing for today's episode, but it's truly an important consideration for all adults, regardless of age or medical condition, especially in light of the current pandemic. Today, I'm joined on the phone with Reverend Elise Tremaine, Advanced Care Planning Coordinator for Baptist Health. Elise, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with me. I'm really looking forward to diving into this topic with you. Thank you so much, Kendra, for having me. Yeah, so before we jump right into the more detailed questions, let's start with a really high-level overview. What is advanced care planning? Advanced care planning is thinking about and communicating what matters most to you when you're deciding between treatment options, both now in the current time as well as planning in advance. So planning for an advance when you're not able to communicate your preferences. And the reason is the kind of medical care that you receive should support your personal goals. So what's most important to you, which really can differ, you know, for people. For example, is it more important to you to prolong life at any cost or is quality of life more important in certain situations? Mm. We don't know what treatment you know, would better support someone's goals unless we've taken the time to learn and listen from them what's important to them. That is really helpful, I think, to set the foundation of our conversation today. So a lot of times I think people associate these types of decisions with creating a will or a DNR, a do not resuscitate. And I think those are probably more commonly understood or you know, maybe more familiar terms to folks. And it certainly can include those types of decisions. But as you kind of alluded to, it can be a lot more than just that. And I know I probably sound like a broken record this episode, but I just cannot stress how important and timely this conversation is. Sadly, the pandemic has forced many young and healthy people to start thinking about these really hard end-of-life and care decisions. And these are things that typically didn't come up for most people until later in life. Are you starting to see younger people have these conversations and make some decisions? Yes. Like you said, one of the things the pandemic has taught us, or at least made more real to us, is that serious illness can happen to any of us. None of us are immune and that it can happen suddenly, it can happen quickly. So that makes advanced care planning important to all of us, regardless of our age or health condition. Mm-hmm. But what I'm also seeing is that a lot of people are becoming more engaged with their care and they want to have a say in the kind of care that they receive. That's interesting. And it's also encouraging to hear that, that people are taking a more proactive approach because 
these are tough conversations to have. And, you know, they're largely avoided until it's too late or a diagnosis or an end-of-life scenario makes them unavoidable. Why do you think that these types of conversations are so hard for people? How does maybe our society's fear of death or avoidance of aging impact these conversations? Is there anything you can share that you've seen in your work that can make these conversations easier to have? Yeah, there's a, there's a saying about advanced care planning, which is, it always seems too early until it's too late. Uh. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about our fear of death, of aging. It's so difficult to think about our own mortality Mm -hmm. or those that we love. And sometimes I think conversations about future medical care can also feel irrelevant to people because they feel like we're talking about a what-if situation and that may never happen or it may not happen for a long time. Right. So, yeah, so it can seem a little morbid to people. But as you mentioned before, it's not only about planning for end of life situations. It's also about planning for any time that you're incapacitated or unable to communicate, even if it's a temporary situation. I think one of the things that may help with having these conversations with people who are close to us is if we start the conversation from the standpoint of just curiosity, be curious about how someone close to you would want decisions to be made for them or if, if maybe there's anything they would want to avoid if they weren't able to make their own decisions and just ask them. And what's nice about that is that you might learn something new about them yeah. and it may enhance your relationship and also give you the opportunity to share with them what would be important to you in that kind of situation. I think that's a great point. And, you know, that's really just good advice for any difficult conversation you have to have in life of taking that curiosity into the situation instead of maybe making it so pointed or so confrontational, just having an openness to ask questions and to listen. Well, outside of a will that directs things like asset allocation or after death wishes, there are many decisions that take place regarding medical care in the event, like you mentioned, that you're incapacitated or unable to make your own decisions. I think the word will, a lot of times people just assume that it refers to what happens after death, but we're going to talk a little bit more about living wills and things that go on while you're still living, but you need to make those arrangements. So let's talk about those now. What is an advanced directive and do I have to have one? An advanced directive is a legal document and it's a document that states in writing your preferences for future medical care. In that event that we've been talking about when you cannot make your own care decisions. And it can include different things. It can include who the person that you want to appoint to make medical decisions on your behalf. It can also include specific directions that you would give to that person or to your healthcare team. For example, treatments that you would want to avoid or treatments that you would want to receive if you were in an end of life Mm -hmm. situation. Now, whether or not you complete an advanced directive is completely voluntary. It's completely up to you. It's not required for receiving medical care, but the advantage of having an advanced directive is ensuring that you continue to have a say, that you have some control over the kind of treatments that you will receive, even in the event that you cannot communicate, as well as being able to choose the person who you trust to make decisions for you, especially if that person is in your legal next of kin. That's a really valuable distinction. And, And I'll be totally honest, before we started talking about preparing for this episode, 
I didn't realize there were so many options. Of course, I had heard of wills, but in my limited knowledge, I thought that was, like we said, simply to just outline the disbursement of your possessions and admittedly didn't realize the number of decisions there are to be made while you're living. And the you know, the burden that you can remove from your family and friends or loved ones by creating these advanced directives. So let's talk briefly about the different advanced directive options, starting with, like we mentioned a couple minutes ago, that living will. What is a living will? A living will is a document that directs whether or not you would want to continue life prolonging treatment if you couldn't communicate okay. and if there were a very low chance that you would recover consciousness or the ability to know who you are and who you are with. So you were right when you were talking before that it is about how you want to live. But in this particular situation that is so hard for families to make decisions, they really struggle to make decisions unless they have a clear directive from their loved ones. And in some states like Kentucky, a living will can also include your choice of uh, one or more people that you appoint to make medical decisions on your behalf as well. Okay. I think that's a great transition into the next advanced directive I want to talk through with you, selecting a healthcare surrogate. Talk to us a little bit more about healthcare surrogacy and why it's such an important decision for people to make. A healthcare surrogate or representative, as it's called in Indiana, is the person that you choose to make medical decisions for you only in that event that you cannot make your own decisions. And this is such an important decision because at some point in our lives, most of us will experience a time when we cannot make our own decisions, even if it's a temporary situation. Mm. And even if we have an advanced directive like a living will, there's no document that can anticipate every decision that may potentially need to be made about our medical care. So doctors and the healthcare team, they're going to need to rely on someone else to guide medical decisions for us. So it's important that we choose someone that we trust that would be able to do that. That is such a great point because I think when we're talking through these different options, it can feel a little overwhelming or they can start to kind of bleed into each other in your mind about what, well, it's all about decision-making and what's the difference. But the point that I really take away from the healthcare surrogate from what you just said is that these other documents that we're talking through are much more specific and they're about specific things that you do and do not want to happen. But the important thing about the healthcare surrogate is that, you know, unexpected things are going to happen. And just like any other thing that you plan for in life, whether you're planning, you know, an event or a wedding or insurance coverage, you just cannot outline every single scenario that could happen to you. So selecting that person that you really trust and who knows you and knows your your values and your wishes and your faith, if that's important to you, can be really important in the nuances of those decisions. So absolutely. Next, let's talk about a durable power of attorney. What is that? And when might someone need it? What differentiates a durable power of attorney from a healthcare surrogate? A durable power of attorney, you can authorize someone to make several different kinds of decisions for you. So it's it's a helpful document for any time when someone is not able to make their own decisions. And it can include many different things like financial decisions, personal decisions, and it can also include the authority to make medical decisions. 
So someone who's appointed as a durable power of attorney that includes health care, they would have the same authority that a designated healthcare surrogate would have in the event that you cannot make your own decisions. So in theory, you could have a durable power of attorney and that person could make all of your decisions for you, healthcare, personal, financial, and that could be kind of your sole point of contact. Is is that correct? That is correct. The durable power of attorney doesn't usually include directions for that person, but it includes who you would appoint as, okay. your, as somebody to represent you. I imagine that if you chose a, if you selected a person as a healthcare surrogate, and you designated someone as your durable power of attorney for those personal and financial decisions and kind of kept the responsibility separate, I just imagine that would take such a burden off of someone because it could be a lot to be in charge of the, you know, selling of a house or the as- the financial assets or what happens with your job, what happens with paying your bills while you're incapacitated and on top of making all the medical decisions and being involved in the care. Yeah, that is so true. I think a lot of times we don't think about what we're asking people to do when we ask them to serve as a healthcare surrogate, which is why we encourage people to really be thoughtful about who you choose to make different decisions for yourself. Such a great point. Well, the next advanced directive I want to talk through with you is a, it was a new term for me, medical orders of, for scope of treatment, abbreviated MOST, M-O-S-T. What does this entail? The MOST form, it's, all, it's called by different names in different states. It's called POST in Indiana. Okay. But it's a portable medical order, and it's intended to ensure that individuals who have an advanced life-limiting illness receive the kind of medical treatments that they've chosen with the help of their provider. Okay. So it, because it's a legal medical order that is supposed to be followed, having this form is a way to communicate to any facility or any healthcare provider that individual goes to, it communicates which medical interventions are to be provided to that individual in the event that they cannot communicate their wishes. And this is a form that should be completed with a provider. It has to be signed by the provider, but also the provider can review the different kinds of interventions that are described in that form, as well as the benefits and the burdens of those particular interventions for that person. This sounds like a a really great conversation to have at your annual physical or your yearly checkup with your primary care provider or whichever type of provider you see on a regular basis. I didn't even realize this was an option, but so this would be more of a form where the provider that treats you is explaining the different types of options that may be relevant to whatever condition uh, you have or whatever diagnosis you have. And then the form is intended from provider to provider. Is that right? Correct. Okay. It's especially helpful when people are outside of the hospital sure. and have an episode of an exacerbation or something and they need medical care. Um, it communicates exactly what they have chosen with their provider about what interventions would be appropriate for them in that situation. To be carried out, even if their own provider is not the one treating them. That makes total sense to me. Finally, let's talk about an advanced directive that may be more familiar to our listeners. I mentioned this at the top of the episode, the DNR. What is a DNR? A DNR, you you mentioned before, stands for do not resuscitate. And an EMS DNR is a form that's intended to communicate specifically to emergency personnel 
that an individual does not want CPR attempted if their heart were to stop or they stopped breathing. And so without an EMS or out-of-hospital DNR form, emergency personnel are bound by law to attempt CPR in that situation. Okay. So if someone, if you have discussed CPR with your provider and you do not want CPR attempted, then it's important to have either an EMS DNR form or a most form. The most form also includes CPR wishes okay. that would guide the emergency services about your wishes. Okay. Yeah, I think... That was a great overview of some of the different types of advanced directives that folks should familiarize themselves with and potentially look into creating. Are you subscribed to the Baptist Health free email newsletter? Sign up to receive Baptist Health emails to learn more about your health. Select from a variety of subscription options, including bariatric care and weight loss management, cancer care, health and wellness, mother and baby care, heart care and diabetes, neurology and stroke, orthopedic care and sports medicine, women's services, news, classes and events, and much more. Stay up to date on the health and wellness news that matters to you most. Subscribe to our free email newsletter today to get the latest medical information delivered straight to your inbox. Sign up today at baptisthealth.com slash subscribe. We're back with Reverend Elise Tremaine. So as someone is moving through the process of awareness and they become ready to take action, what is that next step? Can you offer advice on where to start? Maybe how you select a healthcare surrogate or someone to appoint for these decisions, when and how to have these conversations? What's your advice? The best way to start really is to give some thoughts to who might serve as your healthcare surrogate. As we talked briefly before, most people assume that their family will know how to make decisions for them or they'll be prepared. But in reality, we know that families really struggle with decision-making. So think about who would be able to actually follow your wishes, Mm. even if they were to disagree, and who would be able to make difficult decisions for you and potentially very stressful situations Mm. because it can be a very high-stakes situation. And then before, when you have somebody in mind for this role, before appointing them on a document, just start a conversation with them and ask if they'd be willing to serve in that role, if they'd be willing to sit down with you and learn about your preferences and serve as a surrogate. And not just that one person, but it may also be a good idea to choose one or more backup or alternate surrogates, we call them. Okay. Because those people, like the more conversations you have with people who are close to you, those people can support your primary surrogate. They may not feel like they're all alone in making decisions. Great point. And they can also, yeah, and they can also step in and make decisions if needed if that surrogate is not able to serve for any reason. But regardless of um, who you start talking with, having conversations with your medical team, mm-hmm. with your surrogates, with those who are closest to you, the more people you talk to around your circle, that's going to be very helpful so that if there comes a time for decision-making, there's less room for disagreement and conflict mm-hmm. about the kinds of decisions that you would want them to make. Now, when, as far as when to start these conversations, I'd say start now while you're able to make your own decisions. And especially this pandemic, I think gives everyone an entry to this kind of conversation. And there's really no reason to think that you need to cover everything, anticipate and prepare for every situation 
in one conversation or get it perfect or anything like that. The point really is to have ongoing conversations throughout your life about how you would want people to make decisions for you and know that you, you know, your preferences are going to change over time. Medicine will change, your condition will change. And so continuing to have these conversations will be important so that your surrogates and your healthcare team would feel more confident in knowing what you would want them to do. It's so important. I think the more I listen to you talk, the more I just can't stop thinking about what a huge burden this would remove from the people who love you. You know, even though, of course, it's probably going to be one of the most challenging times of their life dealing with not only the grief of something has happened to you or someone they love, but then also the amount of responsibility and the pressure and even the guilt that can be associated with making these really hard decisions if it's not outlined what the person wants. If you're not sure if what you're doing would be their wishes, it just seems like a difficult thing maybe to start, but such a gift to give people. Yeah, that is true. It gives people a lot of peace of mind, both for you um, knowing that you've expressed to them and helped them prepare for that situation, but also for those people to feel a little more confident that they are they would be doing what you want them to do and not have some conflict or regret over if, the decision if they, they made the right choice. Making. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so say you've you've selected the people to fill these roles in your life. You've had the conversations. Now, how can someone actually create these advanced directives? What resources are available? So there the advanced directives, there are many forms provided by the state. We have a planning guide um, available through our website. It includes frequently asked questions, it includes conversation starters, and it also has the advanced directives, such as the Living Will in Kentucky or different forms in Indiana. And in addition to this resource that people can print out or have mailed to them, we also offer a virtual advanced care planning class through Baptist Health. Okay. And that's to help help you reflect on your personal preferences for healthcare and understand the different directives that we talked about. So you can find them under classes and events at baptisthealth.com and it's signed up for free. It's a free service. Okay. And in addition to that, those people who would like help with completing an advanced directive from a certified facilitator or who would like to have an advanced directive mailed to them, they can request assistance by calling our advanced care planning helpline. Our number is 859-639-7800. That's great. And we will link to all of these resources, the forms that you mentioned, the websites, and the phone numbers. We will put those in the show notes of today's episode for anyone listening who wants to take advantage of those options and those resources. So say someone has these documents already. Maybe they've already created them, or maybe they create them as a result of listening to this conversation. What do they do with them? How do you make sure that your advanced directives are known to your healthcare providers and that they're followed? Yeah, that, I mean, that's the whole point is to be helpful with healthcare decisions, mm-hmm. but they're only helpful if it's available when it's needed. Sure. Right. So when you, um, we encourage people anytime that you complete or you update, you change an advanced directive to always give a copy of it to your healthcare provider. And if you're part of the Baptist health system, that means your document would be communicated between our hospitals and healthcare providers within the Baptist system. But also give copies to your surrogate or surrogates 
and maybe even other people who are close to you and so that they would know where to find it. Okay. Another option for Baptist Health patients is to upload your advanced directives to MyChart, which is our patient portal. You can do that from your phone or your computer, and that's the way to ensure that it's part of your medical record. That makes it so easy. You know, if you can just take a screenshot or a copy, upload it through our app and get it straight into your medical record, then like you mentioned, all of our Baptist Health providers and locations are on the same electronic medical record. They all have access to the same charts and files. So no matter where you're seen across the Baptist Health network, whether it's your primary care or emergency department, anywhere inpatient in any of our hospitals, anyone who treats you would have access to those documents. So let's talk about maintenance, because of course, you mentioned already, once you make these initial decisions, it's important to revisit periodically and update your preferences as changes are inevitable to occur. Your annual physical is a great time to review your healthcare wishes, but there are other circumstances that may prompt change as well. Walk us through the six D's. Yeah, it's a good idea to review anytime there's a significant change to your life. So a good way of doing this is to revisit anytime you experience what we call one of the six D's. The first one is a decade. Anytime there's a new decade. I think what you mentioned before, doing it as part of your annual wellness visit is Mm -hmm. also a great idea. But at a minimum, every new decade is a good opportunity to look at your documents and make sure they're still reflecting your wishes. Also, anytime there's a death of a loved one, because that experience of losing someone who's close to you and being a witness to their end-of-life experiences, that can really impact how you want to make future decisions for yourself. Thirdly, divorce. So any if you have a, a divorce, especially if your spouse is your healthcare surrogate on a form, um, you might want to think about whether you want to change that following a divorce. Sure. Fourthly, diagnosis. So if you're diagnosed with a new serious health condition, maybe a good time to revisit. Mm-hmm. Or if there's a decline or any significant change to an existing health condition, but especially if that means you're unable to live on your own. And then finally, distance. So if you move to another state or maybe even spend a lot of time in another state, it would be a good idea maybe to complete a document that meets that state requirement. That's great. I love that mnemonic, the six D's. And again, this is something that we will include in the show notes of today's episode so that you can go back and reference these life changes and know when you might need to update your advanced directive. But say I decide not to do this. I don't go through the process and the unthinkable happens. Maybe I'm in an accident or I'm unexpectedly unable to speak for myself and I haven't outlined my wishes or made a plan. Who makes my healthcare decisions if I can no longer do so and I have not made out an advanced directive? Every state has different statutes related to this. Under Kentucky and Indiana law, if you don't have a legally appointed surrogate or if you don't have a guardian, your legal next of kin is the person who's authorized to make medical decisions on your behalf. Okay. And each of those states um, has an order of people who can make decisions for you. And it's based on how closely related they are to you. Okay. That makes sense. So it would kind of work through a a hierarchy, so to speak. Yes. Well, Alisi, thank you so much for being on the show today and walking us through these really important topics. I know you've helped make a conversation that can be somewhat daunting, feel much more manageable. Is there anything we have not covered today that you'd like to leave listeners with? I'd like the listeners to know that 
you're part of the equation on deciding the kind of treatments that are best for you. You know, the doctors and the healthcare professionals, they're the experts on the available medical treatments, but you are the expert on what's important to you and what's right for your life. So we need your help in understanding how to best care for you. And that's by speaking out and making your preferences known in advance. Great points. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Great to be with you. Well, advanced care planning is for all adults, regardless of their medical condition. This type of planning prepares you and your loved ones for any future healthcare needs, such as an unexpected emergency or accident. So much of life is unpredictable, but one thing we can do is plan ahead to make what is undoubtedly a really challenging time just a little bit easier. As I mentioned, we'll be linking to all of these great resources in our show notes of this episode, so please be sure to check those out to help you get started on your personal advanced care planning journey. You can also head to our website at baptisthealth.com for more information about advanced care planning and our online classes. Thank you for tuning in today. I would encourage you to share this episode with a friend or family member and challenge them to take just one step forward in creating a plan for their future. We'll see you right back here next time for another episode of Health Talks Now. Stay well. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health. Be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.